For the scripture reading today, I will be reading Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of you, each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may all, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafty, craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way and to him who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God's peace and presence continue to be with us this morning as we look further into his word. Sermon title, Moses and the Rod of God. And the theme of the message this morning is giving ourselves and our abilities for the work of God. Now God is in heaven and we his people are here upon earth. So when God has a task to be done on earth, he taps one of his people to perform that task. And throughout the Bible and throughout history, we have witnessed how he does his work through men and women. We think of Noah and Moses, Elijah, Gideon, Samuel, Rahab, David, Paul and a host of others that God tapped for his work. In our current Sunday school lesson, the adult lessons, we have noticed how God tapped Jeremiah as a 20-year-old to be his mouthpiece to the nation of Judah. Now, many of these people had special skills or training which suited them for their task. But many were just ordinary people like you and me. Yet over and over,
throughout the scripture, we see how God equipped, enabled, and empowered those whom he chose for a special task. And though we realize that we're just common people, most of us with no outstanding skills, we also need to realize that God is capable of using mundane lives and limited abilities to accomplish his purposes. The bottom line is of our usefulness to God, the bottom line of our usefulness to God is whether we are fully committed to him and open to doing his will. Willingness is of more value to God than great skills. Gideon was a farmer, David was a shepherd boy, Paul was a tent maker, Jeremiah just a young man, but we know how God used them because they were willing to be used. The fact is that God does distribute skills among his people so that he always has someone in place, someone capable of the task at hand. I hope you noticed from the scripture that Marlon read a bit ago there from Ephesians 4, how God gave diverse gifts to the church for the upbuilding of the church for the preservation of the faith. God always has people equipped to do his task. So never despise your lack of an outstanding skill as a measure of your usefulness to God. If he has given you a skill, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant, he can use that skill in willing hands to perform his work. So this morning we want to look at Moses and see how God used him. However, we also notice that God had first to convince him of his usefulness and then he enabled him to do a tremendous work for him with one small insignificant tool. The setting is that God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, were in bondage in Egypt. When God promised Abram a son there in Genesis 15, he also told him that his descendants would suffer hardship in a foreign land for 400 years. And as we trace the descendants of Abraham down through Isaac and Jacob and his sons, we noticed how Jacob's family went to Egypt at Joseph's insistence to escape famine in the land of Canaan. And there they multiplied, and for fear of their eventual supremacy, the Egyptians enslaved them and mistreated them for 400 years. Think back a bit. 400 years ago was 1613, two years after the King James Bible came into being. They were enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But God had a plan 
God did not abandon his people. We note at the end of Exodus 2 where God heard the groaning of his enslaved and mistreated people and determined to deliver them in honor of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to read just a few verses there, Exodus 2, verses 23 and 24. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered the covenant. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, or God remembered. If I stumble a little this morning, I'm using the ESV, and I'm not as familiar with that as I was with, and with King James. But God heard his people. After 400 years of their enslavement, their mistreatment, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, and he, knew, he determined to do something about it. Now, we know that God is not slack concerning his promises, but he had a purpose in the seeming long delay of delivering his people. First of all, he was allowing them time to grow in significant numbers so they would adequately fill the land that he had promised to Abraham and his heirs. There in Genesis 12, where God called Abraham, Abram out of Ur and told him to go, he would show him where to go. And part of the promise there was, I will make of you a great nation. And so here, during the 400 years of captivity or slavery in Egypt, the nation was growing. Secondly, we also note there in Genesis 15 where God made a covenant uh, of the land with Abraham that the ensuing 400 years of their, cap of their enslavement until their delivery would bring to fruition the iniquity of the Amorites who were then in the land of Canaan, and thus justifying their destruction by Israel and freeing the land for their possession. So God had a plan. He had it all worked out, but he needed help on location. Enter Moses, God's man. We know well the story of Moses in defiance of Pharaoh's edict to kill all male Israelite sons, his parents hid him till no longer feasible and then set him afloat in a waterproof basket in the marshes of the Nile. They followed the king's edict. They put their son in the river, but in a waterproof basket. <laughs> Moses was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter he was raised up in the king's palace and taught all the wisdom of Egypt. Acts 7, and Stephen giving his defense, mentions about uh, Moses 
and how and his learning. He was a promising young man. He had a bright future in Egypt. But then at 40 years of age, he fell into disfavor due to an ill-timed attempt to help his overburdened people. We read about that in Exodus 2, where he killed a man, an Egyptian, and when this became known, uh, Pharaoh sought to kill him. So Moses fled. His life was at stake. And so Moses fled and spent the next 40 years in the wilderness school herding sheep. But here again, we see God's sovereign wisdom. Moses here in the wilderness was gaining firsthand knowledge of the area through which he would lead the children of Israel after their escape from Egypt on their journey to Canaan. In confirmation of God's call to Moses there in Exodus 3.12, God told Moses, he said, as confirmation of my call and my presence, he said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God in this, on this mountain. So Moses, during those 40 years, was learning the area through which he would bring the children of Israel on their journey to freedom. He was also learning patience, humility, fortitude, and leadership skills. I guess you could say he was learning leadership skills from leading a flock of sheep. But I've wondered, what do you suppose was going through Moses' mind those 40 years while he herded sheep in the wilderness. <clears throat> Remember, he was skilled in all the learning of Egypt, and here he was demoted to being a shepherd. Do you think perhaps he was saying, well, how did I ever get into this mess? Why did I do that? What was I thinking? and on and on. He probably kicked himself for a number of years. How did I get here? From the palace to the sheepfold. All the time, God was working on Moses, teaching him patience, humbling him to the point of usefulness, teaching him that you cannot accomplish God's purposes in one's own strength. But before God could enlist Moses' cooperation, he had to get his attention. Forty years in the wilderness had cured Moses of any ambition. And we'll note as we go further here. But God had to get his attention before he could turn him loose to be his man in Egypt. God used a burning bush to get Moses' attention, and then when he had his attention, he revealed himself to him and explained his plan to deliver his people and then elicited Moses' assistance. I want to read the first six verses here of Exodus 3, where we notice how God got Moses' attention 
so he could begin the process of moving him into his work. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God got Moses' attention. Wake up, Moses. And then God revealed his plan to Moses. The next uh, few verses here, verses 7 through 10, where God revealed his plan to Moses for his people. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Now, let me pause here. Moses, I'm sure, was with God up to this point. Yes, Lord, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. They're suffering. They need deliverance. Notice verse 10. Then God said, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And that's when Moses said, Whoa, God, not me. God told him, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm going to do something about it. And Moses, you're the man. And Moses said, No, I'm not the man. He said, Whoa. Moses balked. He began making excuses. Let me read further, verses, three, uh, verses 11 through 17. Notice also that for every excuse Moses made, God had an answer. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then God speaking, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. <clears throat> God had a plan and God had his man. God answered all of Moses' excuses. And then God said here, go, I will be with you. <clears throat> Moses also had a tool. Let's read about that in the first five verses of chapter four. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. King James says a rod, and I'll explain that a bit later, but a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. A shepherd's rod, this is a poor representation this morning, but it'll serve its purpose. A shepherd's rod is different from the shepherd's staff. The staff is a longer rod with the hook on the end. The, the, the rod was used as a defensive tool to ward off wild animals from the flock, as a corrective measure to the flock. It's interesting, down in the children's assembly this morning, I won't tell you all the answers, but they got most of them right, but one that I wouldn't recommend, and that would be using it against someone else. <laughs> but Moses' rod, a simple stick, God said, what is that in your hand? He said, well, Moses, uh, God, it's only just a stick. What did God do with that stick? Remember there in Psalm 23, David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So there were two different instruments. Moses' rod was to be the tool that God would use to deliver his people. It was just a simple wooden stick, but notice how God used it. 
in verse 20, the latter part of verse 20 in chapter 4, we notice that Moses' rod turned into the rod of God. And that is where the power lay. God's rod. <clears throat> A simple stick. A simple shepherd's rod. But God used it in Moses' hand to perform miracles in the deliverance of his people. In chapter 7, we note that the rod was used to demonstrate God's power over the power of the Egyptian magicians. When Aaron threw his rod down, it turned into a snake. And Pharaoh called in his magicians, and they did the same thing. Do you know what happened? Aaron's rod swallowed theirs. And then Aaron picked it up, and it was a rod again. God used that to show his power over the power of Egypt. It was also the instrument that God used to bring the plagues down upon Egypt. God told Moses, he said, hold your rod out over the Nile and it will turn to blood. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God told Moses, Hold out your rod over the sea, and it parted for the children of Israel to walk through, and then brought again the flood over the Egyptians and covered them. In the wilderness, it brought water from the rock. It was also there in Genesis 17, as the children of Israel were moving through the wilderness. It was also the means of Israel's victory over the Amalekites en route to the promised land. God told Moses when the Amalekites attacked them, he said, hold out your rod. And as long as Moses held out his rod, Israel prevailed. When his hands grew faint and his arms dropped, the Amalekites prevailed. And so he sat on a rock and he held up his hands with the rod of God in his hand. God's tool in the hand of God's man accomplished God's purposes. It wasn't Moses by himself, nor the rod by itself, but a combination of God's man using God's tool with God's enabling power that wrought God's work. What is that in your hand? That was the question that God asked Moses as he encountered him there at the burning bush. And then God showed Moses how his simple shepherd's rod could be empowered by God to do his work. God asked us, just as he did Moses, what is that in your hand. He has a job for you. And he has given each of us some skill. And he has also given the, and 
He has a job for each of us to do with the skills that he has given, and he waits to empower us till we are ready to be used of him. God may need first to get our attention. Moses was God's man, but Moses didn't know it until he encountered God at the burning bush, and God woke him up to his possibilities, his potentials. So God may need to get our attention before he can use us or show us how we can be effective in working for him. God does not set up burning bushes for us today. He calls us today in various ways. It may be that still inner voice that prompts us to service. It might be his written word as we read it. It may be a call through the church. It may be through some traumatic experience that God gets our attention. I just recently read a book of a World War II bombardier that was down in the Pacific, spent 47 days on a life raft. During that time, he was not necessarily a religious man. In fact, he admitted that. But during that time, those 47 days that he endured in the Pacific on a life raft, he made a promise to God. He cried out to God. He said, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll serve you forever. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, after 47 days, they were rescued, imprisoned by the Japanese. He spent several years in an atrocious situation in a prisoner of war camp in Japan. He was finally liberated, came back to the US and set about making a life for himself. Married, forgot all about God. In fact, he admitted he was very wicked. Went to drinking, uh, he just gave himself to the pleasures of life. At some point, his wife became a Christian. And the Billy Graham Crusades were in Los Angeles, and she tried to get him to go, and he said, nope, it's not for me. Finally, one night he went, and just as Billy was giving the invitation, he got up and stomped out. He said, I don't want to hear this. His wife persuaded him to go back another night. Again, when Billy gave the invitation, this man got up and started stomping out of the tent. And God arrested him. As he was going out of that tent during the invitation, God spoke to him and he remembered the covenant that he had made with God on that life raft in the midst of the Pacific. And God melted his heart. He turned around, he went to the altar and gave his heart to the Lord. Subsequently, he was used by God to preach his message. God used that traumatic experience to bring that man to his senses again and set him on the right path. Hopefully, 
None of us have to go through that experience before God can get a hold of us and say, I have a task for you to do. You may feel small and insignificant and ill-equipped to do anything of worth for God. But just stop and reflect how God has used small things and insignificant people dedicated to him to accomplish much. We've talked about Moses' rod. Samson, in the time of the judges, slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. David, with a sling and one small stone, defeated Goliath and delivered Israel. In John 6, we read where Jesus took the small lunch of a boy, a boy and fed a multitude. God can use small, insignificant things to accomplish his great purposes. So I ask you this morning, as God asked Moses, what is that in your hand? Might be a hammer, a wrench, a mop, a rolling pin, a paintbrush, a pen, a keyboard, a steering wheel, a computer, a shovel. Recently on a Sunday evening, uh, we had a Leroy, Leroy shared with us about the work of uh, CAM in their disaster relief uh, services, and he showed how even minor skills can be used as a testimony for God in ministering to those in need. God has given each of us some ability which can be used to advance his kingdom. It may be the gift of time, the ability to teach, to give a helping hand, to provide a meal, a comforting word, a letter of encouragement, it goes on. God has given each of us some skill. And it's a proper attitude toward God's gifts and blessings that releases them to multiplied usefulness in his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 18, 8, verse 12, we read, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God does not demand of us more than what he enables us to accomplish. That's the bottom line. And the value of the gift is far surpassed by the attitude with which it is given. You recall the widow and her two mites as recorded there in Mark 12. Her gift, Jesus said, totaled more than all the other gifts com combined because she gave sacrificially and willingly. So the value of the gift, whatever our gift may be, is far surpassed by the attitude with which we return it back to God. So let's be careful 
not to cut ourselves off from God's blessing or of our ability to help and bless others by being unwilling to use what is at our disposal no matter how small or insignificant it may seem. And don't argue with God's call. I want to read some verses here further in chapter 4 of Exodus, verses 10 through 17. Now you recall there in chapter 3 where God, where Moses argued with God. He said, well, who am I and that I should go back and, and uh, go back to Pharaoh? But listen here again in chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I want you to notice here the excuses, not only that Moses gave, but the excuse that you and I have often given to God. I can't speak. Listen what God says to Moses every time Moses brings up an argument. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or, or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Does that sound familiar? You tell the superintendents when they ask to teach, oh, please get someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. Did you catch the fact there that Moses missed a certain blessing? because he argued with God, because he said, well, I can't do it. Send somebody else. And so God said, all right, I'll send somebody else. And he will be the spokesman to Pharaoh, but I will speak to you and you share your words with Aaron. So don't argue with God. God has a task for you to do. God will never ask you to do beyond what, you, what he empowers and enables you to do for him. We should never underestimate God's ability to make something useful out of the mundane as he did with Moses' rod. A simple stick in the hands of a man fully dedicated to doing God's will led a million people to freedom and gave them victory over their enemies. In the same measure, God awaits to bless you and your gift if you are available.
wrapping it up this morning. One principle in focus here is that even small things in the hands of a big God can accomplish far more than man ever can fathom. Another principle is that even a common man or woman fully dedicated to God can accomplish much more than even dream possible by man. So take a look at your life. First of all, is your life fully dedicated to God and his purposes? That's the first step. Then take a look at what is in your hand, your skill. Is it dedicated to God and his service? Even something small and seemingly insignificant in the hands of a willing, dedicated person can accomplish much for God. The bottom line is, is God able to use you and your talents in his great program? Are you open to being used? Or do you argue with God as Moses did and say, well, I can't speak. I can't do that. Send somebody else. Don't argue with God. Recognize that God has endowed you with a gift or gifts. And that he, as he calls, he will also enable you to use that gift and will empower that gift in your hand. Remember Moses' lowly shepherd's rod, a simple stick, and what it did in the hands of a man that was willing to expend himself in God's service. Why did God call Moses? Why did God choose Moses? Moses was specifically fitted for the task. He knew the culture of Egypt. He knew the wilderness of Sinai. And God knew that he would be a faithful servant. You remember what God said about Moses at the end of his life? There was no one like Moses. My servant Moses. Why? does God choose you? He chooses you because he has given you some skill that you can use to advance his kingdom. So don't deny yourself the blessing of accomplishing work for God by thinking that you are insignificant or that your gift is too small. Yield to him. The smallest gift in the hands of a willing person can accomplish much in God's service. Be that person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your great power and your great love. You have chosen us to be your people, your children, and we thank you for the work that you have done in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that as we reflect on Moses and his commitment and his usefulness, 
that you will challenge and inspire each of us to be faithful in serving you with the gifts that you have given into our hands. Help us to go from here with a renewed determination to be your people doing your work with the skills that you have endowed us with. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.